0: Oh, good evening, everybody. Lovely to have you here with us uh, this evening as we come together to worship the Lord. Some words from uh, Psalm 68 by King David. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And we're going to praise the Lord now and rejoice before him in the words of our first hymn. Come, people of the risen King, who delight to bring him praise. And we can rejoice, rejoice that we can sing God's praises, but also that we can speak to him. We can speak to the living God. And we're going to do that now. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful we can come before you this evening. We can come before you and sing your praise and worship you. Father, we thank you that you are such a great God creator of all that we see of all that we know sustainer of each one of us day by day through your common grace father we rejoice before you this evening for your great goodness to each one of us and particularly we would rejoice before you for the salvation that you have provided for us lord you know our sin uh, deep though it is and how it separates us from you Lord, we thank you that it can be dealt with as we put our faith and our trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he came to give his life as a sacrifice for our sin that we might be forgiven. Father, we rejoice before you for that wonderful provision, a provision that's open to everyone who will come before you, who will come and put their faith and trust in him and ask for forgiveness. Father, we thank you that day by day you provide for our needs. Lord, whatever they might be, you provide for us. And we can rely on you. We're so grateful for that. And we rejoice over your provision for us. Father, we rejoice too that you are our strength in weakness. You know how frequently we feel weak and inadequate for what faces us. But Father, we thank you that you are with us and that you are pleased to strengthen us. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we uh, praise you, we rejoice before you for your comfort, for the comfort you bring us in sorrow. (laughs) Would you know uh, what life on earth is like? Uh, The many sorrows that accompany it. And we're so grateful that we can have your comfort in each of them. And because we have your comfort, because we have your strength, because we have your provision day by day, we can rejoice. And we do so this evening. Father, as we rejoice here, Lord, we would pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who uh, suffer so much uh, for their, from the authorities who bring persecution and uh, for other situations as well. Lord, we pray uh, that they might know Uh, the joy uh, that only you can bring to, that you would bear them up and strengthen them. Father, we think of your people in Nigeria. (coughs) Father, we uh, pray that these uh, elections, uh, there would be no uh, strife resulting from them. But Lord, we pray you would uh, protect your people. Lord, we know that Nigeria is number six on the World Watch list of uh, persecuted uh, churches in uh, different countries. Lord, we pray that you would protect and uphold and strengthen your people in these difficult times. Father, we uh, remember too those parts of the world where there is a great trouble and strife. And Lord, we think of Ukraine. Lord, having now passed that first anniversary of this dreadful war. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to bring this to an end. Lord, you would bring peace and you would bring justice in that situation that you would give great wisdom to world leaders, that they might know the right things to do. And uh, Lord, that this might soon be at an end and the country might be able to return to normality again. Help them, we pray. And particularly we pray for your people in that situation, that they might be lights uh, for your gospel message through that darkness. Help them, we pray. Father, we pray uh, for our own country, Lord, we pray for our King and for our leaders that you would give them great wisdom as uh, they deal with the uh, difficult situations they're faced with. And Lord, we would particularly pray uh, for those of our leaders who know you. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and bless them. Lord, we particularly think of those who are uh, targeted and uh, sought to be marginalized because of their faith. And at this time, we particularly pray for Kate Forbes uh, up in Scotland, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage her. And Lord, that if it's your will, uh, that she might take over uh, that senior position uh, within the SNP. Lord, we thank you for her faith that she has made so clear and evident. And we pray that you would bless her. Father, we pray that there would be MPs uh, in our own government that would seek uh, to follow that faith themselves, and Lord, that you would guide them uh, to lead our country in ways of righteousness, ways that please you. Help us, Father, we pray. Father, we thank you for the church here. Welcome, Hall Evangelical Church. Lord, we praise you for it, for all that you have accomplished through it over the years. Lord, we commit to you, those who are struggling with various difficulties at this time, Lord, we pray you would bear them up, that you would encourage them, and that even though they go through such uh, testing times, that they might still know the joy of the Lord, and that that might be their strength. Lord, we pray for each of the activities that's due to take place this week, that you would be pleased to bless each one, We think of the Christian Institute Conference here on Thursday, that you would bless that and use that to encourage and empower people in their service for you. We pray too for Jeremy as he nears the end of his holiday, that you would continue to bless and refresh him. And we pray for Don, who's here this evening to bring us your message. Father, we pray you would empower him with your spirit and be pleased to speak through him. To our hearts this evening, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. 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 What well, is indeed uh, great to welcome you all here this evening and to give a particularly warm welcome to Don Morrison. Uh, Don is one of the elders at Moni Hall Church in Birmingham, and you may remember him. He was uh, one of the team of preachers that came to support us during the sabbatical. Period. So it's great to have you back with us. Uh, we mentioned Jeremy on holiday. Yes, it's his final day tomorrow, and so he uh, returns uh, to work on Tuesday. Tuesday, of course, sees coffee morning at 10.30. And then in the evening, we've got our small groups in various homes, and they'll be starting at 745 Wednesday we are due to have our litter pick at 10.30 and then babies and toddlers recommences uh, after the half term break at 1.30 and then kids connect at the usual time of 7 o'clock in the evening. Thursday as I mentioned in prayer the Christian Institute uh, holding a half day uh, conference Salt and Light in Education. Uh, There's some leaflets about it on the table there uh, speaking about the way the uh, harmful ideologies are affecting uh, schools and what they're teaching the children and how we can best deal with that. So if that's something you'd be interested to hear about, uh, please pick up a leaflet on the way out because you will need to book if you'd like to do that. It's only an email to, uh, to contact and uh, you'll be very welcome to join us then. On uh, Friday, we have a uh, Rooted Group for Teens at 7.15pm. And then on Saturday, uh, some of us are going to the Next Generation Conference uh, for those working with youth and children. That's over in Nottingham. And in the evening on Saturday, uh, the local Young Life group are meeting in the church hall. And next Sunday, uh, we're due to have our normal services at 10.30 uh, in the morning. First Sunday in the month, so communion will be in the morning then, and in the evening uh, and Normal service, both of which Jeremy will be speaking at. A couple of additional items. Uh, The uh, Chelmsley Wood Reformed Bible uh, Baptist Church have their anniversary service at 3 pm on Saturday the 4th of March. Uh, That's at the Ford Bridge Centre. So if anybody would like to go along to that, you are warmly invited to do so. And uh, here on Tuesday the 7th, uh, so next Tuesday at 7.45, uh, we've got a visit from Dr. Peter Williams, uh, the principal of Tyndale House, Cambridge. And he's come, coming to speak on the subject of can we trust the Gospels? Okay. The short answer is yes, okay. but he's going to give you a much more interesting answer uh, than that. And please don't be dissuaded from coming uh, by the fact that he has an MA, an MPhil, and a PhD uh, from Cambridge. Okay? This will be uh, an event that's open for all of us. So if you're interested uh, to learn things as to how you can defend the Gospels against people that say, oh, you can't believe that, that was written loads years ago, yes, you can, and he will help us to see why and how. We can tell people about that. So, do come along. Cards are on the table uh, if you'd like to take one. uh, And invite any of your friends or family you think might find that interesting. All these things, of course, are in the will of the Lord. And before we come to communion, we're going to sing our second hymn. This is number 493 if you're using a book How Deep the Father's Love for Us. As we come to communion this evening, we invite all those who are trusting in Jesus alone uh, for salvation, who've been baptised and are walking in fellowship with the local church, uh, to take the emblems as they come to you. And uh, just to remind you, we eat and drink as the emblems reach reach us. If that's not your position this evening, please don't worry and just allow them to pass you by. That's quite okay. All things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, I'm going to invite Richard to give thanks for the bread, and later Peter to give thanks for the cup. Thank
1: you. Our most gracious, all glorious. And ever-blessed God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bow in your presence on this Lord's Day evening, and we think to ourselves, O Lord, that who are we that we should approach the Holy God? Who are we, O Lord, that to us should be given the privilege and blessing of eating and drinking at the Lord's table? We thank you that the the way that you have provided is full and free through our matchless, mighty Lord Jesus Christ. And so in his name we come with a holy boldness, Lord, a holy boldness, though not wanting to have anything presumptuous about us. We come, Lord, not to crow of ourselves but to bow before you. And we think, Lord, of lines perhaps that we've sung here or there over the years. Bread of heaven, on thee we feed. Or again, we taste thee, O oh, thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. And so we do, O oh Lord. We long to feast upon upon the Lord Jesus Christ to feed upon him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving he who is the bread from heaven he who is the bread of life and so Lord help us now to take the bread and to eat it to your praise with humble and thankful hearts in Jesus name Amen
2: Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you too for this cup which reminds us of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood, his life's blood to pay for our sins. The night before he died, he was in an agony as he thought of what it meant to endure the eternal wrath of his holy heavenly father on our behalf and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground and he prayed father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and we thank you for the perfect obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ right unto death and we thank you for the finished work and O oh God, we pray that you will accept our thanks and take our thanks as guilty sinners washed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus whose blood cleanses from all sin. O oh Lord, how we would boast in the death and resurrection of our great Saviour and one day by your grace and to your glory May we see you around the throne. O oh Lord, accept our thanks now as we do this in memory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We're going to have a scripture reading now, and our passage for this evening is taken from the book of Psalms, and it's Psalm number 145, Psalm 145, entitled, A Praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty And on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. And shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion. Slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfil the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, before Don comes to speak to us now, we're going to sing our third hymn, number 352. If you're using a book, God has spoken by his prophets, spoken his unchanging word. Number 352. (laughs)
3: If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to the passage that we read together in Psalm 145, we're going to spend a few moments this evening just reflecting on these truths. But let's just come to prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we humble ourselves. Uh, We recognize that here is true wisdom. Here is a word that is infallible. Here is a word that we can trust. Here is a word that is authoritative. Here is a word that is relevant. So help us, Lord, not to judge your word, but allow your word to judge us. And we ask, Lord, as we reflect upon it together this evening, that we will feel the Master's touch. We would say with those of old, we want to see Jesus. We want to feel his touch. We don't want to merely hear words. We want, Lord, we ask, Lord, humbly that you will send your Holy Spirit from heaven so that the preacher will be energized and so that the people will reflect that, Lord, we would not be merely hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. So, Lord, help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as that psalm was read to us, you could not have failed to notice that like so many other psalms, it is a psalm of praise. And in the first two verses, just very much like a Beethoven symphony, the psalmist sets out his grand theme. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. What is your view of God? How do you conceive God? What do you think He is like? It's quite a few years ago now, a book came out with a rather provocative title Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. And I guess that's true of all of us. However we conceive God, our God is too small. And there is only one place we can go to find out what God is truly like. And we need to constantly ask ourselves, is my view of God consistent with the truth of God as revealed in his word, the Bible? See one of our big problems as human beings is we tend to start with us instead of starting with God we tend to diminish God in our thinking and we tend to elevate ourselves we naturally begin with ourselves and we put ourselves at the heart of everything our needs our wants our desires And then we want to frame our view of God as we view him through that lens. So it's good for us this evening to come together to recalibrate our thinking, to examine what the Bible has to say about God. The first four words in the Bible set the priority for us. In the beginning, God. So as David praises God in this psalm, we can ask what are the things that the psalmist finds praiseworthy in him? And that, what does that tell us about this God that we have come to worship this evening? And that is the glorious theme that just for a few moments this evening we hope to explore. So, why does the psalmist praise God? David praises God because God is great. God is great. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our psalm. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. His greatness is unsearchable. Another verse says his greatness no one can fathom. Why is that? Because this God, this God is infinitely great. Listen to what one writer says. Great is the Lord, his presence infinite, his power irresistible, his brightness insupportable, his majesty awe-inspiring, his dominion boundless, his sovereignty incontestable and therefore there is no dispute great is the lord and if great then greatly to be praised this god is great in that he is infinitely powerful there is nothing too hard for him there is nothing that he cannot do jesus himself said that although there are many things that are impossible for us with God, all things are possible. This God is so powerful that he speaks a word and a universe comes into existence from nothing. I don't know how much you know about the universe. I know very little. And I guess all human beings know very little. And if I were to give you some statistics about the universe, both you and I would find it impossible to compute them. Forgive the pun, but the the numbers are just astronomical. But let me just give you one or two statistics which might help us. You know that light travels at a certain speed. At the equator... If light traveled around the world in one second, it would go around the world seven and a half times in one second. That is the speed of light. Our nearest star is the sun, which is some 93 million miles away. Do you know how long the light takes from the sun to reach Earth? Eight minutes, 20 seconds. What is the next nearest star? It is a star called Proxima Centauri. Eight minutes for light to travel from the Sun to the Earth. How long do you think light travels? Long light takes to travel from this star, Proxima Centauri to the Earth? 4.2 years. That's our nearest star after the sun. It is mind-boggling. The universe is incredible. I heard it only this week in a lecture. It is estimated that the number of stars in the universe roughly equates to the number of grains of sand in every beach in all the world. We have to pause to take it God is great in that he is infinitely powerful. God is great in that he is infinitely knowledgeable. There is nothing that God does not know. We talked about the universe. God knows about everything from the movement of every subatomic particle to the fall of a sparrow to the furthest extremities of the created universe. He knows every atom and every molecule in the universe. Every atom and every molecule that has ever been, that is now, or will ever be. Our God is great in that he is infinitely knowledgeable. He is so great that he knows every thought every action, every motivation of every human being who has ever lived or who will ever live. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his all-seeing eye. We have to pause because that has profound implications for you and I, that we are coming to worship an infinitely great God, an infinitely powerful God, an infinitely knowledgeable God. But we can go on. God is great in that he is infinitely sovereign. He rules the universe that he has made. From our perspective, the world can seem a very random, perplexing place. Chaos seems all around. We see the rise and fall of governments, of empires, of nations. We see evil on on every side. We see injustice on all sides. We see pain and brokenness. We see it in communities. We see it in families. We see it in the lives of individuals. We feel it in ourselves. We feel the pain of brokenness. And we are tempted to wonder, where is God in all of this? Is God really in charge? So we turn to the Bible. And the Bible tells us unequivocally that this God is the wise and just sovereign ruler over it all. You know, in Psalm 2, the psalmist asks the question, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. He's asking that question as he sees the chaos of the world around him. Later in that self-same psalm, we see God's response to it all. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He holds them all in derision. Why is he able to do that? The prophet Isaiah gives us the answer. Listen to what he says. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. The psalmist is praising God because he is great. Isaiah goes on to say in that self-same chapter, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. We mentioned about the stars, the number of stars. God knows each one by name. So the psalmist praises God. Because God is great, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. The psalmist praises God because God is glorious. Look at me with verses five, at verses five and six. This is in the context of one generation commending God's work to another. Through the running centuries, parents teach children, one generation. This is what the psalmist says. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. And then again in verses 10 to 12. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Did you notice that little phrase in verse five? Glorious splendor. What a phrase that is. Glorious splendor. You may know the story of King Solomon in the Old Testament. He knew all about glory. Glory. He ruled over Israel at the zenith of its power and influence and wealth. And the story is that Queen of Sheba came to visit. She was astounded at what she saw. Listen to what we read in 1 Kings chapter 10. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which you end up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. I suppose to use the modern vernacular, she was gobsmacked by what she saw. She was astounded by what she saw. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. He knew about glory. His kingdom exhibited and demonstrated glory. Even Jesus himself talked about Solomon in all his glory. And yet, and yet it was as nothing compared to the glorious splendor of our God. One writer says, compared with the glorious majesty of God's kingdom, it was but as a glowworm compared to the sun. The amazing glorious splendor of God. And all earthly kingdoms and empires, however they make glory as they may appear at the time, no more than a glowworm compared to the sun. But what of God's glory? We read in the Bible of some people who just caught a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And what was Isaiah's response to this vision, this revelation of the glory of God? To remind you, this was a godly man, this is a faithful prophet of God. He tells us his response in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6 Woe is me, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now come with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We read there in chapter 1 on the Isle of Patmos, there's the Apostle John, and he has a vision of the risen Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the one that the Apostle Paul speaks of, as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Listen to how John describes the encounter. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, "'clothed with a garment down to the feet "'and girded about the chest with a golden band. "'His head and hair were white like wool "'and white as snow, and his eyes a flame of fire. "'His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, "'and his voice as the sound of many waters. "'He had in his right hand seven stars. "'Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, "'and his countenance was like the sun.' shining in its strength. And what was the Apostle John's response to this revelation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ? This godly man, this faithful apostle of God, he tells us in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. What is your view of God? What do you conceive him to be? Does it reflect what the Bible has to say about him? So the psalmist praises God because God is great and God is glorious. But he hasn't finished yet. The psalmist praises God because God is good and because God is gracious. God is good to all he has made. Look at me at verses 15 to 17. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. This glorious God, this infinitely powerful, infinitely knowledgeable God is good and gracious to his creation. The psalmist tells us that he is good and gracious to all that he has made. Jesus himself talks about God caring for the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You go to the park on a winter's day. There's frost on the ground. The pond is frozen over. And you look, and here comes a lady holding a bag of breadcrumbs to feed those birds. Who put the idea into her heart? Whether she recognizes it or not, God did, because God cares for these birds. Who put it into the heart of the man to go to the shop to buy a bird feeder for his garden? He thought it would be rather nice to put a bird feeder there so he could look out and just enjoy seeing the birds feeding. God put the idea into his heart, whether he recognizes it or not. We could multiply example after example after example. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. And what about you and me? We go regularly, I guess, to the supermarket. Perhaps you regard it as something of a mundane chore, something very routine that you don't give very much thought to. But what do we find when we get there? We find foodstuffs of every type from all around the world. All our tastes All our needs are catered for. If the truth be told, we are spoiled for choice. And why are all these things there in the supermarket? Well, we could say, well, we need to eat. But they're there ultimately because God cares for his world. He is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Verse 15, the eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God cares for the world that he has made. God provides for the world that he has made. Because God is good and because God is gracious. But especially, especially, God is good and gracious to his people those who have come to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in verses 18 to 20. The Lord is near to, to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked who will, he will destroy. Let me try to illustrate these few verses by asking you a question, talking to a Christian brother or sister. Are you tempted to feel sometimes that God seems so far away? Are you tempted to wonder sometimes in your lowest moments whether he really cares about you? Are you tempted to worry that when you pray, perhaps he doesn't hear does he listen to your call? Listen to what the psalmist says. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Christian, what do you think is your greatest need? Now, if, if you were to ask an unbeliever, their answer, I trust, would be somewhat different from that of a Christian. If we were to go into the streets of Bromsgrove and say to somebody, what is your greatest need? Somebody would say, well, my health isn't great. It would just be lovely to be really healthy. Somebody else would say, if I had enough money to pay off my mortgage, have a good holiday, and not have to worry about money anymore, I think that's my greatest need. So people would talk in these terms. But when we come to know Jesus, we know better. We know that our greatest need is not more finance, although that might be very nice. It's not even perfect health. Our greatest need, according to the Bible, is to know that our sins are forgiven. That we have peace with God. Because if we are Christians, we have come to know and we have also come to experience the reality of that Bible truth, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And as a Christian, what is your most profound desire? Surely it's to please him. Surely your desire is to put to death those sins that so easily beset us, those sins that plague us, Surely it's her desire to exhibit those qualities that most please him, those qualities that reflect him and reflect the fact that we belong to him. The Bible calls it the fruit of his spirit. And isn't it our fervent desire that one day we will see him no longer through the eye of faith, but we are trusting and hoping that we will see him one day face to face. And we will see him in that place where there is no sin, where there is no death, where there is no sickness, where there is no sorrow, where there is no weeping, there is no despair. Listen to verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. Isn't that good news? He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. You see, this God, this great God, this all-powerful God, this all-knowing God, this gracious God, this good God, he meets our deepest needs and and fulfills our most profound desires. Christian, do you mourn the wickedness of the world? When you look at the news or read it in your newspaper, don't you long for justice? Don't you see so much unfairness in the world? Do you wonder if evil people will always prosper? And do you need to know his daily care, his daily presence in your life? Listen to verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. When we see injustice that distresses us, if we believe in God and if we believe his word, we know that there is a day coming when every wrong will be put right, when justice will prevail and will be seen to prevail. So the psalmist praises God because God is great, because God is glorious, because God is good, and because God is gracious. Just as we close We need to remind ourselves of one thing. The goodness and grace of God is directed at a world which is in rebellion against him. Isn't that amazing? The world hates God. The world is at enmity with God. If we don't know God, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are at enmity with God And yet his goodness and grace is directed at a world which is in rebellion against him. All of the good things that we enjoy are ultimately a gift of God to those who by nature are his enemies, those who have turned against him. And this raises the inevitable question. How is it possible that this infinitely great Infinitely glorious, infinitely holy, infinitely just God could possibly accept people like you and people like me. We know that we have failed. We know that not only have we not lived up to His standards, we know in our honest moments we have not even lived up to our own standards. How is it possible for such a God to accept us? How is the greatness, the glory, the goodness of God supremely revealed? It's revealed on a cross. It's revealed on a cross on a hill called Calvary, outside the walls of Jerusalem. You see, this God is so good. This God is so gracious that he sent his only son to take our place on that cross. As somebody once said, he came to live the life that we should have lived. He came to die the death that we should have died. So that in the words of John 3, 16, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who did Jesus die for? He died for his enemies. He died for those who had rebelled against him and gone their own way. Isn't the gospel good news? It's wonderful to be called a friend of God. It's more wonderful still to know that as Christians we're adopted into his family and to know Jesus as the one who sticks closer than a brother. But even more wonderful still to be his bride that the church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be part of his greatly loved, blood-bought church that he will one day present to himself. It tells us in Ephesians that that in that day, it will be a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. It's true that Jesus accepts us as we are. But Jesus doesn't accept us as we are to remain as we are. No, he has a project. He is going to work in our lives. And he is going to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, enable us to put to death those things that displease him. And to begin that process of progressively conforming us to his image wonderful to read psalm 145 but there's a sense in which we have the advantage on the psalmist because we can look back at the coming of jesus we can look back at the cross we can look back at the resurrection and understand in a richer and a deeper way the greatness of god the glory of god and the goodness and the grace of god We've come to the last verse of the psalm. And as the psalmist reflected on this God, what was his response? My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. That's the psalmist's conclusion. It must be our conclusion. If we have come to know anything of this good news, if we have come to know anything of this Saviour, Can we do any less than say, my mouth shall speak in praise of the Lord? May the Lord enable us to do so. Shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, we know our words are inadequate. We know that vocabulary fails us. We know that as we seek to set forth the glory of our God, the greatness of our God, Lord, we know that we struggle. But, Lord, we ask that you will give us a sense of your greatness, a sense of your glory, that you will, Lord, show us again our Saviour, that you will show us again, if we belong to him, what wonderfully privileged people we are. Help us, Lord, to be grateful and thankful and joyful every single day that you ever rescued us from that folly of rebellion against this god and lord we just ask that you will enable us and strengthen us by your holy spirit to live our lives seeking to please him to live for him to honor him in everything that we say and do and think we ask it in his precious and lovely name amen